Hi, welcome to the 7 Days Podcast. This is a podcast where every week I pick a different topic and just examine it in seven different ways. So I like to try to uh, combine this podcast with stuff that I'm doing anyway. It just makes it seem like, uh, like I'm not just goofing around, I'm working on a podcast. So this week, uh, that's going to be about the Double Fine Adventure documentary. I just laid down my 10 bucks to uh, buy that documentary series, and uh, it turns out there are seven episodes I hadn't seen yet. So that worked out well. (laughs) So what it is, there's this guy, Tim Schafer, who uh, is a video game producer, who uh, I think is still probably most famous for working on the Monkey Island games back in the day. And then he did Full Throttle and Grim Fandango and Psychonauts and uh, Brutal Legend. So his company, Double Fine, they started a Kickstarter to make an adventure game because, you know, they don't really make those so much anymore. And they thought that uh, if they could skip publishers and go straight to fans, they're like, I'm sure there's enough people that would like one of these games that if we go straight to them, you know, maybe we can make... $400,000, $500,000 and make this game. And uh, they ended up making like $4 million, which paradoxically kind of became a problem because then the scope of the game became much bigger and uh, the game took much longer and much more money to make than they expected. And in fact, they split it into two halves. So the first half is out as of this recording. And then the idea was they would use the money they made from the first half to complete the second half, which is almost done, but not quite. But along with it, they got this production crew called uh, Two Player Productions to do a documentary about the making of the game. And Two Player Productions is really great. They used to do the Penny Arcade TV episodes. And every documentary I've seen by them, it's always great. They do everything they do is really high quality. It's really good. So they've been following the this game since its inception, like literally Tim Schafer sitting down with an empty notebook and just brainstorming. Like he didn't start with any ideas. He wanted to get everything from the beginning. And it's super interesting to see what it's like to work at a mid-sized game studio and what the politics of making a video game are like and what uh, just what the production is like. Like it's a... Uh, it's messy making a game. Like, I started learning a lot about that from um, interviews with uh, Ken Levine, especially, the guy that made the Bioshock games. And he's a weird case, because, like, I really like the first Bioshock. I really hated Bioshock Infinite. Like, I think this guy's made some great games and some total dog shit games. But the more I learned about the process of making a game, it is like... Uh, I don't know, like, it's not a straightforward process. You can't just put your eyes on the prize and work toward it. Everything is iterative. Everything is ever-shifting and constantly malleable. And uh, just basically, there are so many different disciplines involved and so much luck involved in having a game turn out well. It's really pretty interesting. And uh, that's something I'm starting to find now, just because we're in this world where everyone can produce. I can just make podcasts, I can make little documentaries, I can do all this stuff. Anyone can. You can self-publish, like, there's just no 
barriers anymore to what people can make. So it's extra interesting how people make stuff, how things do get made, what the production process is like. In most cases, I find that more interesting than the products themselves. Like, uh, I've noticed that with Kevin Smith. I've been a Kevin Smith fan for a long, long time. But at this point, the stories behind his movies are far more entertaining than the movies to me. Like his movie Red State, I watched once, it was okay, but all the podcasts about it and about how he decided to tour with it are excellent. Like, they're so interesting. And then his last movie, Tusk, is doubly like that because the idea came up during a podcast and you get to follow from the very beginning of the idea all the way through to this thing being a movie. I love stuff like that. So this kickstarted adventure game, it ended up being called Broken Age and it's pretty cool. I'm actually, I mean, even though I played them as a kid, not really a big fan of the style of adventure games, of that just walking around talking to people till they run out of dialogue, piecing together items to try to solve puzzles. It's really not my bread and butter, not really my cup of tea, not really my food-based analogy. But this game, it is a really great example of an adventure game, and it's gorgeous. The artwork is beautiful. It is so nice to look at. But really, the best thing about this whole process are these documentaries. There are 18 episodes as I record this, and they range from half an hour to an hour. And there's so many interesting details and so much cool stuff. And it really does seem like, man, what a cool job. This would be so great to work in a video game studio. But then you do get two years deep into this project and he's just like, here's all the same people at the same desks working on the same game. It's like, holy fuck, really? <laughs> and after this is done, they move on to another thing? Like, yee, I don't think I could do that. I don't think I could. It's so much work. It's nuts. So I thought, as an excuse, hey, I'm going to watch these documentaries, and I'm working on this podcast, let's put them together. So for these seven episodes, episodes 11 through 18, every episode I picked what I thought was the most interesting little moment, just an interesting little clip that made me think of something. So that's what this episode is going to be, seven little standout moments from the Double Fine Adventure documentary series by Two Player Productions. Okay, this first clip is uh, about recording. They're in a sound booth just recording uh, lines from the voice actors. And I thought this was interesting because uh, it is weird, like, no matter what your job is, it becomes a job, you know? Like, they're just sitting in a booth and hearing people record. But Tim's just talking about how, you know, 30 hours of that is just like, oh, like, what? This is weird feeling. And, like, the stir-craziness of being in there with other people. And I guess it's like, uh, he mentions to the editors, he's like, maybe this is like video editing for you guys. And yeah, like when I used to do more video editing, it's just hours and hours and hours and hours working on something. So that's all this clip is, it's just about uh, the nature of work. Every job's a job. <laughs> like uh, 
that dude from the Ramones used to say. He's like, yeah, I'm in a fucking rock band. It's the best job in the world, but it's still a job, and I fucking hate it. For some reason, sitting in the recording studio is grueling. Like, you're just sitting in this little chair, you're hearing voices, but, like, after a day of that, you're like, oh, my God, I was in this tiny room all day, and, like, I mean, maybe it's, like, editing for you guys, but it's, like, you're in a tiny room faced with a big control panel, and you're talking over this inner... I don't know why it's so exhausting. I'm so delirious from that 30-hour session that I, uh, I don't even know who I am anymore. <laughs> it's almost like it was brutal legend. Oh, God. <laughs> 30 hours. I delegated all the hard mm-hmm. sessions of that one. I only come for the movie stars. You're telling me, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I only come for the stuff. You only come for the important stuff. I leave the stuff where the script is really idiot-proof. <laughs> Do you like that term? It's like a writing term. Like, it's director-proof. Yeah. Just in screenwriting class, they're like, you got to really write your script so it's director-proof. That's because which is so funny. working with directors who aren't me. It's just, it's a... <laughs> That's obviously not the way I feel. What? It's obviously not the way I feel. <laughs> you just, okay, so I want to hear Frank's blowjob story. No, your writing is awesome. It's perfect and fantastic. It doesn't compare to Frank's blowjob story. So in between takes, um, you just start to, um, for some reason, tell extremely dirty jokes. This is going in a weird direction, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> well, the camera's off, right? Oh. Nope. <laughs> It's like um, going to some weird uh, foxhole or trench together. Now, clip number two is about playtesting and uh, trying to hit that balance of is this too hard for people to figure out? Is it too easy for people to figure out? And it's kind of an impossible task anyway because every person's different. You're never going to make it perfect for everybody. And in particular, this uh, early puzzle It's about this kid named Shay who lives on a space station and like the uh, the spaceship looks after him. But this was all set into motion when he was really young so the computer still treats him like that and he goes on these adventures and stuff that were all predetermined for him that he used to find exciting when he was like six years old. Now that he's becoming a teenager it's super boring. So you're going through these mundane puzzles and you need to break them. You need to like break the system so you can get outside of it. So it's a really weird puzzle in specific because it's supposed to be mundane. It's supposed to be annoying, but then, you know, people say it's mundane and annoying. It's weird though with adventure games. One of the things that irks me about them that is no different about Broken Age is it's this vibrant interesting world and you're walking through and you're talking to people but then as soon as you get stuck all the life drains out of the situation like it's one thing i like about the telltale games like walking dead and stuff is uh rather than being about puzzles they're more about just flowing through a story and it's hard to get stuck and it's more just about like the situation just keeps uh you know unraveling and uh unfolding where in a more traditional adventure game like Broken Age, if you get stuck, it's like weird. You're just walking back through all the old environments and you're talking to people, but they don't have anything new to say. They just run through the end of their dialogue again. And it really makes everything instantly go from alive and vibrant to just dead and stale. And I feel like there should be ways to fix this type of thing. Like, 
if you talk to someone enough times, like maybe that should be a, a tip off to the game that like you're stuck. So now give me more dialogue, give me more explicit instructions about what I should be doing next. Or even just timer based. If I've just been walking around for 20 minutes and I have not accomplished anything new, I'm obviously stuck. And I mean, back in the early 90s, I guess that's just how it was. It was intended to be like that. But now we're in this internetified world and it's like, you could just go look up a solution and like, you're not supposed to be stuck like that. That's a sign that you're, you know, you're stuck. So just have something else happen, maybe. Like, I just feel like there's ways around this. And uh, in that sense, Broken Age does not break any new ground. But anyway, here's Tim talking about the difficulty of puzzle design. The uh, part with the, the train and the avalanche, I, I, I did kind of feel that was like the hardest for me. Um, I was kind of starting to lose a little bit of interest, whereas this, I'm just like, I want to fucking go to the next place and see what see what's going on. Mm-hmm. That's the toughest. That's the toughest one because I um. In my head, I was like, okay, there'll be this uh, routine for the boy, and he'll be stuck in it, and the puzzle is to get him out. So that means if you're stuck in it, it's going to be repetitive, and and if you want to get out, that means it has to be kind of frustrating. And so when people say, like, I found that routine really frustrating until I broke out of it, is that bad feedback or good feedback? Because it's almost exactly the way I described I wanted it to feel, but when someone actually says it to your face, like, oh, it's really frustrating that part. It's like you don't want someone to feel frustrated with your game, but that is what you were going for. No, I, I do think it was pretty good. It was one of the better. I think the thing we still need to talk about, though, is like uh, what happens if they wouldn't have gotten out there. If we have any we could plan do, for long, yeah, long-term too, stuff. Now we could add a fail-safe for like pick whatever we think is too many missions to go. Yeah, on. like I wouldn't have wanted to go much further than where they were. As long as, so as long as it was a good kind of frustration where they knew there was a way out and they just had to figure it out, and then they did figure it out, and then they felt smart, and then that's good. Okay, this next clip is uh, one of the documentarians is asking Tim Schafer about if they did any, like, focus testing or, uh, you know, what, what do you call that when you get people to try your stuff and say what they like about it, focus group or whatever, about Broken Age, and they did not, but he brought up uh, that for Psychonauts, Psychonauts was originally going to be published by Microsoft and that deal fell through and instead it got published by Majesco and how uh, lucky that was because as you'll hear here he uh, still has the uh, report that they sent him that Microsoft sent him after doing this focus testing and uh, the dumb shit (laughs) they suggested and in case you never played Psychonauts it's about a summer camp where uh, psychic children go to learn how to do psychic stuff. And it's, uh, it's pretty great. You go into people's minds, and each different character's mind that you go in, you know, has a different setting and a different set of uh, kind of rules and mechanics based on their personality. I mean, the game is actually a little frustrating. I never finished it myself. I had to go to a walkthrough and just watch the rest. But it's really well written, super creative, extremely funny, and just cool super cool and uh yeah these uh market research people wanted to destroy it so 
That's what this clip's about. No, I mean, Microsoft did playtests for um, Psychonauts, and people were like, they got like funnativity ratings or whatever. And, um, oh God, is that what this is? Uh, here's the marketing document that Microsoft made for Psychonauts. Based on the 12 focus groups conducted worldwide, the primary weakness of the game are the storyline, which is considered unoriginal, childish, and overly complex. <laughs> Tongue-in-cheek nature of the game is a weakness. Most simply did not get the joke. Others disliked the satirical humor. In addition, many feel the humor would get old, limiting replayability. Humor should be incorporated into the game as a secondary or supporting characteristic. Humor should be simplified and made immediately apparent. <laughs> <laughs> to help international appeal, limit game components that feel especially Americanized, i.e. summer camp. Thank you, marketing research. Yeah, limit. So you can obviously take this stuff too far. I mean, good God. Thank God we got canceled. Anyway, that's not what we're doing this time. It's so weird to think that just because uh, entertainment, you know, video games and movies, like they're such huge projects with so much money put into them and so many people involved that, I mean, that's the kind of bullshit that's always happening. Like that's why games are so lame. That's why movies are so boring and rote. It's because that's what's going on behind the scenes all the time is just instead of focusing on any vision or having trust in creators, it's like, let's just find out what you're gonna... Let's just find out what a bunch of fucking Yahoo morons think. <laughs> Let's just go with some bizarre perception of a common consensus when it's just a few dozen random people. It's like the, if anything, it's the reverse. Like instead of trusting in an artistic sensibility of like, all right, I've lived life on earth. I have a sense of taste. I know what I like. I know what's good. I know what's bad. I know what I would like to do. Realistically, that's going to, uh, that's going to connect with more people. That's going to be a more representative slice of like a human experience. When you just take information from a small handful of random people and pretend that that is a representative sample of humanity as a, as a whole, you're actually going to get really bizarre, bad shit that no one likes. Like it's so counterintuitive and so dumb. Ugh. Commerce, man, commerce and art, it's the classic thing, but really, especially as I get older and older, just like ascribing a profit motive to anything is so fucking stupid. It is so dumb, I just don't understand it. It's maybe useful at a, like, I don't know, to run a factory that makes canned peas or something, like something extremely rote and mechanical, I guess. But, I mean, fuck, <laughs> for anything with even the slightest modicum of uh, subtlety or, uh, you know, fucking individual decision-making choice, like, uh, it's just, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Just like, hey, let's just slap some supply and demand on this fucking product or idea or endeavor where it makes no fucking sense. Ugh. So this next clip is from uh, the lead animator on Broken Age, and uh, I forgot to check his name before I left the house. Ray, I believe. Ray something. But uh, I like this clip because he's talking about how the reviews came in for Broken Age Part 1. They split the game in half, and uh, this is him talking about the reviews of Part 1. And it's got the two sides. He talks about how uh, 
you know, he tries not to read reviews too much because the downer ones, like, just stick with you. And that's something people bring up a lot, is, uh, you know, like, you... All right, plane, go by! Fucking Jesus! Sorry, sounds sounds make me crazy sometimes. It's like they, they frustrate me. Alright, plane went by, train went by. I'm trying to avoid walking toward these automobiles on the street. It's fucking, it's fucking John Candy movie up in this fucking piece. Alright, so he talks about trying to not focus on bad reviews because, you know, that's, that's said many times uh, that that's just how human minds work. Is like you can have a bunch of compliments, but that one criticism is what really sticks in your mind. That's just how we're wired. And, uh, I don't know, even though every creator says that, and you hear that all the time of people saying they don't read press and they don't look at comments, it still took me a while to kind of realize that that was okay for me to be that way too. Like, like I felt like it was a, a failing, like a, a mental weakness that that same thing happens to me. You always focus on the bad, and uh, I'm starting to learn more and more as I get older, like just, just to go with it, just to turn into the skid, just like, all right, if I have these things that I can't really deal with that well, and things in my life that are weird, and things in my mind that are weird, so be it, so be it, that's just how it is, I'm not going to try to fight it, I'm not going to try to pretend I can be better, or that it's something I can learn to get past, just accept the weakness and just work with it. Like, I don't know, back in the old Keith and the Girl forums, I would, uh, spend more time talking to people that were fucking dumb little bitches than I would people that liked me. And, uh, the iTunes page for my XO podcast. I mean, XO podcast, man, it's a real good podcast. I know it's a good podcast. It just got to write up on Boing Boing. Like, it's a cool thing. I know it's cool. But on the iTunes page, like, there's a lot of criticisms and complaints, especially early on. I put it up and I said it was, uh, similar to This American Life just as a way to, uh, have some kind of explanation that maybe somebody could kind of grasp and then just tons of complaints like this isn't like goes American life fuck you and man that shit just ate at me and I'm like who are these fucking iTunes people and I'd look into it like is there a way I can message them like I wanted to do the same thing like massage the situation like can't I message this guy and be like dude I think you're misunderstanding but you can't <laughs> and it's probably for the best that you can't because that just kind of cuts it off there but I really just had to be like whatever you know what I just don't I'm just not going to look at it anymore. Maybe there's nice reviews on there. I guess I won't see them because I just like, I don't know. It's, I just can't. You just can't deal with it. And I mean, I've learned, started to learn that more and more too is like, like human minds, like we are really, really frail, really mentally weak little weird creatures, just weird little pieces of biology. Like we're so easily addictable and so easily swayed and so easily thrown off our game and so easily aggravated and so easily everything and we just are and I kind of like to just accept it I kind of prefer it like just accept that you're a soft soft little thing and don't try to pretend that you're hard because that just doesn't work it just makes everything worse so there's that but the other thing I like about this is because people do like to have their work recognized and uh you know, with any work, I guess it's like, you know, uh, if it's a movie, it's going to be the actor and the director that most people will talk about. 
And in the case of a game, it's like, all right, Tim Schafer made this game, Elijah Wood did the voice, it's kind of the same thing. Like, who else are you going to really talk about? So uh, I like that this guy mentions that he read a review that complimented the animation, because then he's like, he feels visible, like, hey, I'm the animation guy, I did that animation, like, sweet. Someone, someone noticed, someone gave a fuck, someone appreciated all this time I've put into this thing, and I like that. So here is the lead animator of Broken Age talking about reviews. But it feels good, and, and people seem to be really responding to the game. Um, the reviews have been, have been really good, and um, even comments about animation, which you, you don't get that, that often, it seems like, in games a lot of times, maybe a couple of times, but there's been several of the reviews that have mentioned the animation, that, they've really, that they really liked it, and, um, and that's, that's rewarding. So, yeah. Yeah, I saw nine today. That was nice. So, but you know, I, I actually, what I, I'm kind of bad. I don't really. I try not to read a lot of the reviews um, because the bad ones do kind of make me put me down. Mm-hmm. You know, they kind of, you know, when you're kind of on this high that you've released it, and then suddenly, even though if there's like six good reviews and then one bad one, that bad one kind of um, affects me. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I try not to read a lot of the comments until a little bit later on. Man, speaking of the uh, frailty of biology, or, uh, I don't know, frailty might be the wrong word, but just the uh, non-resiliency of it, or, I mean, a long-term resiliency, but not in the moment, is I was thinking, like, I wonder if just, like, me yelling at that airplane and the fact that I just drank a coffee half an hour ago and I think it's starting to wear off, like, between a caffeine down and, and whatever chemicals my body makes when I yell at an airplane <laughs> like ugh, like that's just in me now it's like oh I don't feel good I feel weird now I don't know anyway um this next clip is just a quick little one about how this is the first time Tim Schafer's ever split a game in half so it's weird to finish the game and just immediately start working again on uh, the same game on the next part because that was one thing, maybe I mentioned this already, but uh, when I first started watching these Double Fine documentaries, they are super interesting, but it is almost like job porn. It's like, oh, cool. I wish I could work there. Look at that. And then it drags on and on and on and on. It's a year. It's two years. It's like getting into the third year, I guess. And it's like, wow, they're all still working on this. Like, shit, I don't think that is that fun-seeming anymore. Like, I don't know if there's any game in the goddamn world I would care about enough to spend years of my life working on it, you know? So I thought that was an interesting little clip, so let's listen to that. Um, let's talk about Reds. Remember Reds? It's not done yet. Part one is up. Part two, we gotta do now. That was crazy. I've never, we've never done anything like that where we ship something and then immediately, except for like Connect Party. But I've never had to go back into a game after finishing it. Usually, like, I finish the game and then I immediately, like, look away from it and just walk off into the desert and never look at it again um, until, like, ten years later or something like that. Well, we're so used to, like, shipping a game that mentally your brain starts to heal and close off. Like, in, <laughs> it's like you, like, um, like, you have a baby. You know how it is when you guys have a baby, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, you, like, and then your body starts, oh, let's pretend that never happened. Let's just heal up. But no. It's like, it's like it's a, there's twins. Yeah. There's another one coming. Hey, twins. 
All right, next up is Tim talking about writing. So Tim Schafer is one of the more famous writers in video games, and I think with good cause because he's video game writing is dog shit. It's terrible, you know? Off the top of my head, I'm like, what has been good lately? There's been The Last of Us and Gone Home, uh, and that's it. <laughs> like, video games are dog shit. They have the worst writing, and I think a lot of it is just because video game creators, they kind of fundamentally misunderstand the medium. Like, they just cram some story and some writing into a video game without any thought of how it should be integrated or how the writing works with the gameplay to tell a different kind of story. And without that, you just get shit. It's just shit. It's going to be the worst. But Tim Schafer has always been good. Like, going way back, you know, he worked on the Monkey Island games. Uh, I just saw a bit of Grim Fandango that just got released as a remaster. Just last night, I was watching my friend Brad play it a bit, and I'm like, look at how cool this game is and the style. Like I said, Psychonauts was great. Uh, Brutal Legend I didn't think was all that impressive, but, uh, you know, you can't hit it out of the park every time. But yeah, he is a, a really good video game writer and a really funny writer, which is also super hard to do and very rare in video games. But that is a recurring theme throughout these documentaries is uh, things getting held up because the writing's not done. And I don't know, it seems to me like Broken Age doesn't have that much writing. I guess it must have a lot more than I think it does. But it does kind of fall into the adventure game trap of you talk to someone long enough and you run out of dialogue options for them and then their dialogue just loops and just repeats forever. And there's not a lot of innovation in that sense. Like, if you talk to, uh, you know, a handful of characters and run through all their dialogue, like, the game should know that you're stuck. <laughs> that should be obvious. Set a little flag for each one. Like, okay, this guy's stuck. Now unlock some new dialogue that's more explicit and gives you more direct help or something. This game doesn't have anything along those lines. But, that being said, I do know writing does take forever. I've gone through, I've never been able to stay extremely consistent about it, but sometimes I'll get into these nice stretches where for two or three months I can really work on writing every day. I had this one stretch two winters ago, I guess, where again, frail human physiology, the uh, darkness of Canadian winter was killing me. So I got up crazy early every morning and I went to a coffee shop and I wrote for like four hours, maybe more every day for uh, like the whole winter. And I guess it added up pretty good to a bunch of stuff that I was not really finished, but, uh, you know, big chunks of different things. But the amount I would get done on a given day was never that much. Like, writing is a very slow process. It's like uh, making coffee. It's just like one drip at a time. Drip, drip, drip. You got to catch that drip every day, and eventually you get your full pot. But it's easy to miss a day. And... And yeah, it was like surprising to me all the time of how slow it is. It always seems like it should be faster, but it just isn't. It is not. Particularly, I think, to do good writing. I mean, I don't know. I'm sure there's some people that can hack out some shit writing dime store fucking shit books back in the fucking 30s or something. I'm good, good, good for you. But to make something good that someone gives a fuck about, it takes time. So uh, this, and, and with Tim in particular, it must be really tough because he can't just go to a coffee shop and work for four or five hours a day. He's got to run a whole company. Like, people are always asking him questions. He's running all these different projects. It's a real to-do. So this clip is about that. It's about him going to the library to write and different places to try to write and just uh, about the process of writing. 
And I think that's interesting. So let's listen to that. I can close my door and I can put a post-it note on it and I can even lock it. But just walking around the office, people will be like, uh, I need you to talk, to, I need to talk to you about this thing. And then that thing leads me to another thing and someone wants to talk about another thing. So many projects going on, so many deals that um, I probably should be helping with and, you know, they justifiably need some input or something, but um, I just uh, have to get this writing done. I just have to get this writing done. So everything else in the company has just got to gotta operate on its own for a while. We're here at the uh, Noe Valley Public Library. Uh, this is my house is a few blocks down that way. I've come to libraries ever since trying to design full throttle. I remember going down to the Sausalito Library and sitting there and designing, sitting there with my notebook, same exact thing. Um, grandma went to the library a lot. I actually did a lot of research in libraries because the internet was not full of stuff as it is now. It's also nice to get out of the office. Let's change the scenery. I used to think, like, on full throttle, I went to the library and I got so much done the first day, and I was like, this is great, this is my new secret. And then I went down the next day and I didn't get any work done. I was like, what's going on? And I got a lot of work done in the office, and then sometimes I get a lot of work done in my home, and sometimes I just think there's no, there's no one answer. You just have to keep moving around and shuffling around. And I think in the end, it really, in some ways, doesn't matter. You just have to, like, work at it every day, and some days you get nothing done, and some days you get a lot done. But you have to do it every day. All right, the final clip. This is uh, this one is kind of interesting because it's uh, it's weird that like Tim Schaefer went from just being a, a writer and a guy that works on games to running his whole company, and he's been doing it for a pretty long time now. Double Fine's been around like ten years at least, probably a little more than that. And uh, yeah, it was a weird thing where it's like I'm sure he did it so he would have more control and uh, less people, you know, overwatching him and uh, stuff. But on the other hand, trying to run a whole company is like a, it's a whole job in and of itself. Like in a way, it takes away from uh, his core interests of making games. And it's interesting with this clip because this is from the most recent episode of the Double Fine Adventure documentary as of this recording. And... Uh, what happened is they made their four million or whatever it was from Kickstarter, but they uh, that caused the game to become a lot more complex, and then it became super complex, and they, they split it in half, and they used up all that money, and they had to start finding money from their other projects and from within the company, and uh, and from the sales of the first half. So uh, at this point, the game, you know, it's taking a long time, and uh, they wanted it to come out in December. And as I'm recording this now, it's February, it's not out yet, and uh, I don't know if they have a release date, I haven't looked it up. But it's interesting because Tim Schafer, he's also a very cool guy, he seems very low-key, doesn't seem like he gets worked up by a lot. But this is when he's starting to feel the crunch, because now, like, this is no more Kickstarter money, this is all his company's money. The longer this game takes, the more money it costs him, and the more he wants to push to really get people to want it to be done soon, whereas the team is more like, you know, we want to take our time, we want this to be comfortable, we don't want to be miserable. And you hear that all the time about game development, that it's these nightmare crunches of just people working day, 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 like all day, 12-hour days, every day, for months, and it's like, blah, just to try to get a game done. Because there's a publisher breathing down their neck and some big company being all evil, and in this case, it's them. It's just them that is running the whole show. 
so Tim's in this weird spot where he has to try to push. He's like, fuck, man, everybody work. Let's get this thing done. But it's not the same situation. He's really worried about it, but no one else is. And it's kind of just not realistic. It's like it's going to get done when it gets done. If it takes a long time, it takes a long time. So yeah, I thought that was interesting just to hear this uh, this little conflict, this tug of war of those two sides, of the business side and the creative side. Because you don't hear the business side come out that often in these documentaries. Not from him anyway, more from the dedicated business people in the company. So I thought that was interesting, interesting way to finish things off. So yeah, these Double Fine adventure documentaries are awesome. You know, as cool as the game is, the documentaries are the coolest thing. They are by far the most valuable to me part of this whole, this whole uh, product or whatever. And I definitely recommend them, although as of this recording, the site where you can pay 10 bucks and download all the episodes has been down for a long time, like two weeks. I grabbed all the episodes and then boom, because I don't know, I needed to re-grab one and I couldn't because the site was down. And I sent them a tweet and I was like, hey, dudes, you know, what's cool about it? I was like, hey, what, what's up? No answer. So I don't know. I don't know what's going on with it. But if it's up and if you can buy them, I recommend it. $10 well spent. If you're interested in game development in any way, it's they're really great. Super, super interesting. Really well done. Two-player productions are awesome. They are so good at what they do. Such good documentarians. Everything they've ever done is awesome. Uh, so I guess that's it. So this will be the last clip, and that ends this episode. I hope you liked it. This podcast and all my podcasts are at keithcourage.com, and I'll be back next Monday with another episode about something. <laughs> so I will see you then. Adios. Well, they've all been talking about how we're, they don't feel like we're going to make December, and we probably aren't but i haven't seen any data you know it's like it's all hunches it's all people's hunches versus hunches but i have, we're supposed to they're supposed to be doing a waterfall schedule which is like all the dependencies um linked out and that will show us ending a certain month and hopefully it's not april but it's almost like if you believe it's going to be march then it will be be march if you're trying to hit december it'll be hopefully january but if everyone's just like, we're not even trying to make December, then it will slip even worse. So um, it's, it's hard to kind of keep a sense of urgency on the project when you feel like, you know, because we're spending our own money on it now. So it's not like a publisher milestone. where It's like, well, the milestone's due on, in December, and everyone just always takes that seriously. And when you have something that's an internal milestone or a milestone that only Double Fine is uh, holding you accountable for, people are like, well, we've got an extra week and stuff. And that's a hard hard thing to um to instill that sense of like taking a milestone seriously even when it's just us because it's just it's more money every week that it goes it costs costs more money and it's longer the backers have to wait and it's you know the longer that we have to put off other things we want to do so um i still push for getting it done as soon as possible so as you can see this takes us uh basically to the end of the year to get the game to alpha um, and then we would transition on to beta work when we were returned from the holidays. And then we have six weeks of bug fixing and polish work at the end. This is traditionally how long we've needed for all of our projects. Um, there might be some, some room to pull that in, but I, I do think that the game needs that much time in order to address all of the play test feedback, bug fixing, and polish work. Has this, have you gone over this, any of this with Justin yet? Only the end date.
What kind of face did he make when you talked to the bender? It was did he smile. No. Good. It's somewhere right. between constipation and DEFCON four. So. Yeah. He also only smiles when things are really bad. So. <laughs> <laughs> it was not a happy face. I'll say that. I mean, that's the thing. Like the information I'm just wondering is what, you know, financially, can we go to this date, or can't we? You know, because before we were talking about December, and he was kind of like, we, you know, we can't go beyond that because of uh, financial reasons. And so that's what I would like to hear from him is what happens if we go to this date. Yeah. All right. Anything else? Tim, do you have anything else? Look at some inspiring words of uh, wisdom. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay, Nick, what's the real schedule? Hey guys, how's it going? <laughs> I'm getting a strong sense people are trying to give me a message that it's a risk to hit December. It's gonna be tight to make December. I mean, that's just me reading between the lines of that meeting. Anyway, it's gonna be over soon, one way or the other. <laughs>